All right, let's get into our Bibles today. We're starting our series on the Gospel of Luke, or rather our series in the Gospel of Luke. And here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to fast forward a little bit. And what we're going to be focusing on in Luke's Gospel is, is the life and ministry of Jesus, specifically when Jesus launches into his ministry, and then we'll move forward through the rest of the book from that point on. But what we want to do is we want to take a real good look at who Jesus is, what Jesus is all about, what Jesus said his life and and his ministry was all about, what is God doing in the world, and then and then along the way figure out what does this mean for us as people who either are questioning Jesus, who is Jesus, or as people who already have put our faith in Jesus, what does it mean for us when we look at the life of Jesus? How does it inform us and teach us and shape us into the kind of people we should be as Jesus followers? And so at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke's going to go and he's going to show us the, the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. Meaning that Jesus was born a human being, although it was a miraculous birth, it was a virgin birth, he just had a mom, his mom uh, never had sexual relations with anyone else, so it's a rather miraculous birth, but he was born a human, and yet he is God, it was the Holy Spirit who caused um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, to conceive Jesus in the first place. And so Jesus has this dual nature, he is both fully human and he is fully God at the same time. And Luke's gospel wants us to know that. And so that's kind of the groundwork for it. And then we're going to fast forward to Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter 4. All right, and we're going to look a little bit about how Luke starts us off. Um, it's not just Luke's gospel. The other gospels all start the same way here uh, because this is this is Jesus' life. This is what happened. But in Luke's gospel, we're going to read uh, Luke 4, 1 through 14 together. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I would be too. Verse number three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see this remarkable story take place. Jesus is actually baptized, which, which happened right before where we picked up in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is baptized, and God the Father speaks from heaven as the Holy Spirit descends onto Jesus in the form of a dove. And the Father declares to him, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well 
pleased. Again, we see Jesus is divine. We see that Jesus is the incarnation of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, who eternally exists in perfect union with the Father and Holy Spirit, wraps himself in human flesh and becomes one of us. We also see that Jesus is human. In fact, I want you to know Jesus is the 76th descendant from Adam. Yes, the Adam from the Garden of Eden. Luke in his gospel, he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. And it's only after revealing Jesus' fully human, fully divine nature that Luke transitions us into the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. It's said that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he is tempted by the devil and fasts. The word tempted can also mean tested. The devil is testing Jesus. And the question is, will Jesus beat the test? Will Jesus overcome the temptations? All of human history has proved that humanity is really bad at resisting temptation and passing this test. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at these three temptations because Jesus is going to do what God's chosen people, Israel, were incapable of doing. Jesus will live a life perfectly for the glory of God. Jesus will not sin. He will not fall into sin. Jesus is going to do perfectly what humanity was always meant to do. Jesus is going to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But it starts with three temptations, and these three temptations, all of them echo back to Israel's history. All of them look like something Israel went through. Like, for example, Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days. Israel was led into the wilderness to go into the promised land. It got messed up, so they spent 40 years in a wilderness. Jesus went for 40 days. You can obviously see the comparison there. So the first temptation of Jesus this one was an attack against Jesus's identity as the Son of God and against his trust in God's will and provision. Jesus' identity was being challenged when Satan said, if you are the Son of God. This was an attempt to push Jesus to a point of relying on himself, which he could have done. Jesus could have met his own needs and therefore not needed to trust in the Father as his source. And we face this same temptation all the time. Jesus rebuked Satan with some good old-fashioned Bible. He quotes directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we want to read this. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 together and see if it sounds anything like what Jesus is experiencing right now in Luke's gospel. So again, Jesus quotes scripture to Satan, but we're going to see where he pulled that scripture from. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we read this. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This is Moses talking to the Israelites. They've been, they've just spent 40 years in the wilderness, all right? This is what he's talking about. He says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. 
Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It's important for us to know that discipline can mean to punish, to correct, to instruct, and to train. See, Israel had failed God. They were his chosen people, and yet they sinned against him. And because of this, Moses teaches them that the 40 years of wandering the desert was God's testing them. And what was the test? It was to know what was in their heart, whether or not they would keep or obey God's commands. It was a test to teach them that they needed to rely on God's word and direction and not to rely on what they could do for themselves. Moses goes on to remind them that God provided for their every need throughout this entire time of testing. God provided during the test. And Moses finishes by telling the Israelites that God was disciplining them just like any father would discipline their sons. Jesus understood the lesson and he passes the test. When tempted to do it on his own and not submit to the leading of the Father, Jesus rebukes the idea and declares that he will live by God's word. Jesus has passed the first test. This brings us to the second temptation of Jesus, which is who will you worship? Jesus is given the opportunity to take the easy way out. Jesus is the rightful ruler of the entire cosmos. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians that all things are created by him and for him, yet the devil offers him the easy way out. Just bow down and worship and you can be king right now. You can have it all. No need for the cross, no need to die. Just bow down and life will be easy for you. Jesus rebukes Satan with some more good old-fashioned Bible. He quotes again from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at it in context. We find this in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. Moses, speaking to the Israelites, said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you went Eat and are satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. So what is this temptation that the Israelites were facing? Will you sacrifice your devotion to God for the easy life? Right? See, Israel was going into a new land, the promised land, but this land was already filled with inhabitants who had their own gods and their own customs and their own cultures that were contrary to the way God wanted his chosen people to live. And so Moses says, hey, when you go in and you're blessed and you will be blessed because God's going to bless you, when you're enjoying the blessing of the Lord in this land that he's promised you, don't quit following him. Because when life is easy, you're going to be tempted to just give yourself to other things, to worship other things, to, to pursue other things other than the Lord your God. So don't do it. Jesus understood this, right? 
the temptation, when you are experiencing the goodness and blessing of God, will you forget where it came from? we got to remember that what Moses said to the Israelites, this is a warning being given to the Israelites before they have come into possession of the promised land. They are still undergoing the discipline of the Lord at this point. God is letting them know that what he has in store for them is amazing and wonderful, but they can screw it up by forgetting who did all this for them in the first place. And Jesus faces the same temptation. He can skip the difficult pilgrimage to his promised land by simply betraying his allegiance and devotion to his father and bowing down to the current, and I say this with quotes, God of this world. Jesus, though, he again passes the test. And this could not have been easy, but Jesus was willing to walk in obedience to the father no matter the costs. These tests are the same for us. Test number one, who are you going to trust? Test number two, who are you going to follow? It's the same for us. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust that God has got us, that he is our provision? Are we going to trust that God is good and that where he's leading us, we're going to continue to follow him even when life is going good or even when we realize that maybe going a different route than following what God has for us would be easier. We're going to choose to stay with the Lord. Jesus passes both of these tests. This brings us to the third temptation of Jesus. Will you live by faith in what God has said without demanding proof. This is what the third temptation is about. Will you trust God without proof? And Jesus responds to this third test, this third temptation of Satan, with another rebuke, referencing yet again another Old Testament story of how Israel failed. So we're going to go and start in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which is what Jesus directly quotes in, in, in our story in Luke. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. In response to Satan's last temptation, Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which says, don't test God. Remember again what this third temptation was. Satan quoted from Psalms 91, which was a prophetic psalm about how God would watch over his chosen one. Satan told Jesus what, the, what God the Father said he would do for Jesus. And basically the temptation was this. Test God and see if he will live up to his word. Jump and see if God will do what he said he would do. But to fully grasp the rebuke from Jesus... We need to look a little deeper at what Moses was referencing in Deuteronomy when he talks about Massah. And for that, we need to look at Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to flip there here real quick. Exodus chapter 17. Obviously, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there too. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Here we go. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, <laughs> traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, 
What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So what was Israel's failure and how exactly were they testing God? Well, they asked, is the Lord among us or not? To really see how bad this is, we should look at the very last verse of Exodus chapter 16. The verse that happens right before this story. It says, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. The story of Israel testing God and challenging him to prove that he was with them comes literally right after the verse saying God provided for them for 40 years. They were demanding God put on a show for them instead of trusting that he would take care of them like he said he would. Again, Jesus passes this test with flying colors. Jesus tells Satan that he will not put God to the test and try to force God's hand. Rather, he will live in trust of what God has said. What does all of this mean for you and me? What does the Bible teach us about this and and what it means for us? Why does knowing that Jesus faced these temptations, the same temptations that Israel faced and failed, why is it important for us to know that Jesus faced those same temptations and yet he did what Israel could not? He passed the test. Why does it matter? So what? Well, let's look at why it's important to us. we got to go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're getting ready to wrap up, but let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. It's just really good. It says this, It is not to angels that he, sub- that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has 
has given me. Now listen to this, verse 14, pay, pay attention. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's so good. Let's look also really quickly at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, we're talking about Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus was fully human and because Jesus was victorious over the temptations of Satan, he was able to die in our place, the innocent one for the guilty ones. And because he died for us, he is able to give us new life. Eternal life isn't all he gives us either. Jesus, at the moment of salvation, sets us free from the power of the evil one. Jesus gives us the ability to now do what he did. Jesus sets us free from the death grip of sin and Satan and enables us through his spirit to also say no to the temptations and tests of the devil. Because Jesus suffered like us, he can help us when we are tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted in the most severe of ways, and he was victorious. So we, because of Jesus, we can now approach God's throne with confidence and receive grace and mercy to help us overcome our temptations and our tests. All throughout your life, you will face temptations like these. You will be faced with the temptation to believe that God will not do what you need, that he's not going to be enough for you, that you're going to have to rely on your own strength. You're going to be facing those temptations with your life. Don't give in. Trust in God. You're going to be tempted at points in your life, whether through things going well or maybe even when things are going bad, you're going to be tempted to pursue and follow other things and to give up your allegiance to the Lord. But don't do it. Jesus shows us that it's worth it. Was his life easy? No. He went to the cross, but Jesus shows us that God is faithful. And if we will hold firm our confession of faith in the Lord and continue not giving in to the temptations to go another way, but follow the Lord, we will see the goodness of God. We will see resurrection life. We'll see it. A third Temptation, though, can be sometimes the hardest, I think, is that we'll hear the promise of God's word, we'll know what God has said, and yet instead of just living in faith, we want God to prove it. Jesus says, no, we're not going to put the Lord our God to the test. 
If God said he's going to be faithful, then he's going to be faithful. And I don't have to make God try to jump through hoops to prove his faithfulness to me. I'm going to trust him. We're all going to be facing these same temptations throughout our lifetime. And the good news is because of Jesus, because Jesus did what we were incapable of doing, he's now given us through his spirit for those of us who have been made new and have been set free from sin's power, from its hold on us, we can now do what Jesus did. We can trust God and pass the tests. Will you trust God today? Will you receive from Jesus, that new life, the forgiveness of your sins, of the, of the ways in which you have failed, will you receive that forgiveness? Because Jesus knows how hard it is to pass the test. And because of his great love for us and his great love for the Father, Jesus remained victorious and he made a way for us to find new life. Do you want that new life today? Do you want to keep walking in the newness of the life? If you're in Jesus, guess what? You can boldly come to God's presence and receive grace and mercy to give you strength. Forgiveness is there. Grace is there. Mercy is there. Love is there. And if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus today, I want to encourage you to do so. Jesus lived the fully human experience. He knows what pain feels like. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows the sting of, of humanity when humanity goes bad. And he's made a way to rescue and to restore, and not just rescue you out of that, but rescue you from being a part of it to give you a new life. I want you to have that today. Father, help us to be like Jesus, to pass the tests, to trust in you completely because we can, because we're enabled to by the power of your spirit, because of what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, resurrection, through his life of, of rejecting the temptation, of rebuking Satan and overcoming the temptations and living a life perfectly for you through the power of your spirit and through his resurrection power. We can have new life and we also can live lives that glorify you. Where we say no to sin, and yes to what you're doing in the world. Help us to follow Jesus today and every day and to boldly enter your throne room and receive grace and mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.